Hi, and welcome to the Ryerson Review of Journalism podcast. My name is Ariel Piazzove. Last week, I spoke with Craig Silverman in Montreal about his latest venture, Emergent.info, a real-time rumor tracker. Here's what he had to say. Start off by telling us um, what's the purpose of the website Emergent.info. Uh, you know, the purpose of the site is sort of twofold. One part is simply to give the general public and also to a certain extent journalists a dedicated resource where they can see the rumors that are out there online, who's saying what about them, and then also be able to see when those rumors are either confirmed or debunked. So kind of a one-stop resource for that. And then the second part is that the site is related to a research project I'm doing with the Tau Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia. and so. The site is kind of a public representation of the data we've been collecting, and it shows what we've been gathering about how news organizations report rumors and unverified information, and how they change or don't change their reporting when it's confirmed or debunked. And take us through how the website actually functions. So a lot, there's a combination of human and a little bit of machine stuff. We're hoping to do more and more automation, more and more machine over time. Um, but the starting point is something that people don't see, which is our back end, our database. Uh, and so that's been built by a, a journalist and developer named Adam Hooper. And uh, Adam basically has built it so that myself and a research assistant, when we see a rumor that's out there, so something that is being reported as sort of allegedly or a claim or, you know, that kind of language, um, we identify that, we create sort of a, a rumor entry in the, uh, in the database, and then we go to Google News and we find all of the news articles about that particular rumor that we can find. And, you know, we grab the URLs and then we paste them in that rumor entry. Uh, and then from there, two things start to happen. So the first is that once the story is entered, um, the system will look for the byline, the name of the source, the body text, uh, the headline, and the date it was published and gather all of that. Uh, and, and then myself and the research assistant will look at what's there and we'll look and evaluate how that particular article is reporting the rumor. So it's, there's basically three options. The reporter, the report can either be confirming the rumor, saying it's true, it can be debunking it, saying it's reporting it as false, or it can be what we call repeating the claim. So this is where we get that kind of hedging language of, you know, allegedly or this photo apparently shows and this kind of language. And that's obviously the majority of kind of articles we see. So the, the system will actually gather all the relevant info for us and store it in the database. We'll add what we call that truthiness rating to the headline and the body text because sometimes those are actually different. We see a lot of cases where they report the rumor is true in the headline and then kind of walk it back in the body text. Um, and then the other thing the system does is it grabs the social shares count for each of those articles. And it does those at intervals. And at the same interval, it's also going back to the web page to see if there's been any updates to the story. And so the goal for that research piece of it and for what we visualize on the site is to be able to say, well, you know, when this story was reporting the rumor as just, you know, something that was out there repeating the claim, it was getting this number of shares. And then three hours later, it said that the rumor was false and we can see the shares level that it gets there. And so we're trying to get a sense of, well, you know, uh, when are rumors spreading most in terms of shares? Uh, what happens when rumors are confirmed or debunked in relation to shares? And also, in a very general sense, are news organizations and journalists actually going back and updating articles or adding new articles later when the truth comes out in one way or another? And you mentioned journalists using the words allegedly or reportedly. Do you think that the public or the general viewer or reader misunderstands what those terms actually mean? So the best I can do is sort of is to guess, truthfully, because uh, 
I haven't seen, and I'm continuing to look, a lot of research about you know, the average news consumer's uh, perception of those particular words. Because I think in a lot of cases, we use journalisty kind of words. Um, now, the average person knows what allegedly means. Uh, I think reportedly is one where maybe they don't understand that that's conveying something that's completely unconfirmed or what have you. So I think there are some that are more clear than others. What really concerns me um, is the tendency I see for a headline to be very declarative about a rumor and basically to report it as true and then the body text to insert things like claimed allegedly reportedly. And what we do know is that readers pay very close attention to the headline. That and the photo are two of the things they look at first. And so that's going to be very high up in their level of retention. So I think that in, in that sense, that's what's really alarming me is how much of that kind of headline body dissonance I'm seeing. And I would love to see uh, people follow up and do research about how news consumers kind of view these words that we use to denote uncertainty and unconfirmed and whether people actually understand that. What has been the most surprising story or rumor that you've seen pop up and that's been shared the most? Well, one of the most shared would be the, the false, uh, the hoax of the woman with three boobs, uh, which every time I bring that up, everybody nods. So everybody heard it. So that sort of reinforces that number of shares can actually correlate to a general awareness uh, because there is some research that suggests, um, you know, people don't necessarily read the things they share. Uh, but all you need to read is the headline in order to sort of know what it's about, which again goes back to the point of we should not be writing declarative headlines when the body text is going another way. Um, so that was one that really spread, and it's not hard to understand why. It's kind of a crazy, hilarious, outrageous story. Um, it was written up very credulously. Initially, people took her claims as wholly true or didn't really do a lot of hedging. And almost nobody did any independent investigation in the first 24 hours. So that one was interesting because what we saw was a huge amount of sharing and talking about it. And then after it was debunked, just people just not paying attention to it. So it was not a well-debunked story. Whereas if you take another ridiculous uh, viral news story, the pump and spice condom, uh, so that's one that came out, there was an image circulating on Twitter, and then you know one news organization decided to call up the PR company and the company to say, hey, is this real? They got kind of a non-committal response and they threw up an article saying, hey, they're neither confirming nor denying this. And that sort of set it off. But it was only a few hours before the company actually issued a formal statement and said no. What was really interesting about that, and it's possibly because the company came out in its own words relatively quickly, is that we saw more articles and more shares for those articles after it was debunked than before. So it was in some ways the opposite of the three-breasted woman. And, mm -hmm. uh, and it's interesting because one of the goals for the research project is to identify ways of making debunking spread. So the pumpkin spice condom is one of the, the best spreading and most debunked stories we've seen. At the Ryerson Review of Journalism, we put a lot of emphasis on fact-checking and all of our stories. We go through the process of fact-checking. This is kind of like a fact-checking 2.0 that you're doing. Do you think that uh, journalism schools or young journalists aren't you know, paying enough attention to the importance of verification and accuracy in their work nowadays? Um, my, my experience over the last 
kind of three to four years where my focus more and more has been on verification in particular of, of digital content like photos and videos and user generated content. So my sense, and this is in part from doing a lot of training in newsrooms and workshops at journalism schools and speaking to educators is that verification is very much valued, very much talked about, but in terms of teaching the practical skills of it and keeping that up to date, it's not really a part of most curriculum right now. Uh, and then when you get to newsrooms, you'll often find there may be a couple people in newsroom who've kind of built up these skills on their own, uh, but it's not really well spread throughout the newsroom. So I do think that it's it's an area that that we're lacking. Um, you know, there was a uh, a paper done. Uh, by uh, some professors at Ryerson looking at kind of the ritual of verification and how journalists view verification. And in the paper they noted that there isn't really a textbook that gives practical concrete advice about verification. So that's one of the reasons why I worked with the European Journalism Center and we released the free verification handbook earlier this year. So that's a free book with very up-to-date uh, guidance, practical advice. Uh, and that's why uh, within a few months, we're gonna publish a second handbook focused on verification for investigative projects. Uh, so I think it's a huge need. Uh, it's a, there's a base level of skill that every journalist needs, but I don't think most of us have right now. And what has been the response um, to emergence.info? What have, what have people been saying online about it? And what do you hope to see for the future? Uh, I, I would say overall, the response uh, has, has been kind of, it's been more than I expected in terms of uh, interest in press coverage. Uh, we, we got a lot of press coverage, um, but what's actually more interesting, not, not to downplay press coverage, uh, I love journalists, um, but what's been more interesting is just watching in TweetDeck uh, my feed of everyone who shares the URL. Uh, and because to me that's, that's really great pure market research is how do people describe what Emergent is? When people share the URL, um, how do they describe it? And do they understand what it is? And so the really interesting and great thing about it is that people have been describing it the way you know, I personally describe it, saying things like you know, it's a real-time rumor tracker or it's a place to check before you share that viral news story or it's uh, Snopes meets Twitter. These are all things that people are saying, and they're all saying the same things. So it tells me that, you know, one, they understand what it is, and then two, the reaction is also people talking about how it's needed and how there's a place for it. Best of luck to you. I think this is a great initiative um, and something that we all need out there on the internet. Thank you. Thank you. You were listening to Craig Silverman, the founder of Emergent.info. We spoke last week in Montreal. To find out more and track these internet rumors, you can visit their website, emergent.info, or follow them on Twitter at emergentdotinfo. You can also follow the Ryerson Review of Journalism on Twitter, that's at Ryerson Review. I'm Ariel Piazzove. Thanks for listening.